Welcome to a very special bonus episode, What the Tech from Boast AI. Today we're unpacking some of the findings from a pair of recent court rulings in the United States that emphasize just how much time and money can be wasted when businesses don't exercise savvy and scrutiny when applying for R&D tax credits. This conversation features Boast AI's own Director of Customer Delivery, Ashley Crawford, along with our Senior Product Marketing Manager, Asad Ali, and was originally featured as part of Boast AI's weekly Innovators Live series on LinkedIn. Hope you enjoy the show and stay tuned for next week's regularly scheduled episode of What the Tech, featuring innovators from across North America's tech ecosystem. Perfect. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining for another Innovators Live session with us. Today, we have Ashley with us. Uh, Ashley, Jack, tell us what you do at Boast. Hi, um, I am our Director of Customer Delivery here. So I work with our U.S. R&D tax team um, identifying our U.S. R&D tax credits for our awesome clients. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for joining today. So we have an exciting topic to discuss. Uh, we're shifting our conversations more from the Canadian side to the U.S. side this time around. And what's happened is there's been a recent uh, U.S. ruling about our R&D documentation. So Ashley, could you give us a quick summary of what's happened and where we're at in the R&D space? Sure. Um, this year in 2023, we've seen two larger court cases come out of appeals um, that are relevant for taxpayers. And to keep in mind, especially as we're getting closer and closer to that extended fall filing date of September 15th and October 15th, um, the first side is going to be Little Sandy Cole. Um, this is a shipbuilder that's out of Indiana, and they took the credit for 11 vessels that were first in class. Keep in mind, this is coming out of appeals. So this was, you know, the original credit was back in 2014 and 2015. Um, but in this specific situation, the taxpayer made numerous claims about, you know, the testing procedures and pilot models and subcomponents um, and time allocations that are going into these 11 ships. However, something that is critical to this case is that the taxpayer asserted that substantially all of the activities and expenses devoted toward the development of these ships constitute a process of experimentation. And the court just did not agree with this. Um, and so just to briefly recap what that substantially all rule is, is that it's when 80% or more of the research activities conducted um, on a project or a business component, as we refer to it in our world, um, constitute elements of, uh, elements of a process of experimentation. So in these cases, um, the IRS states that you can actually include 100% of the cost and employee time that are devoted towards these projects as qualified, as long as you meet this threshold. So we're looking at quantification of the credit. It can have huge impl implications because instead of taking maybe 60% or 70% of costs towards a project, you're now taking 100% because of that 80% threshold. Um, and then the other court case that we saw come out um, is going to be Moore versus Commissioner. And then in this case, um, the taxpayer, which in this case was NEPCO, um, they're a pretty cool client. They develop and manufacture scoreboards for high school and university athletic events. So pretty unique field, right? Um, that they allocated 65% of their COO salary and bonuses towards the R&D credit, saying, you know, he was heavily involved in the development of new products, such as like a new slimmer shot clock and like a handheld scoreboard operation device, among other, you know, product-based activities. Um, and so because of this, you know, they asserted that they were entitled to include a portion of his activities towards the R&D credit um, and then during appeals, the CEO actually testified that he spent well north 
of 50% on product development, and his testimony was further corroborated um, by employees of the taxpayer as well. This is important, and we'll touch on why later. Um, but something that is interesting about both of these cases is that while on the surface level, they don't appear very similar, right? We have a shipbuilder out of Indiana. We have another person that's making scoreboards. But in both of these cases, we see that the IRS is not arguing that portions of the costs aren't qualified or that the time isn't qualified or that the taxpayers aren't undertaking qualified activities. Instead, what they're disputing is the percentage of time or cost that is qualified towards the project and the documentation showing that the estimations used are accurate. So this is super important because while there's a long history of court cases that are affirming the use of estimates and employee testimony, like in the case of NEFCO, affirming those estimates and calculating R&D credit, this does not negate or take away the taxpayer's responsibility in documenting how these estimations were derived and that they're accurate. So meaning that both of these cases serve as a reminder that taxpayers that claim the R&D credit you know, you need to not only meet the requirements of Section 41, but you also need to meet the documentation and record-keeping requirements of the IRS as well. Wow. Yeah, I, I think it's an amazing ruling of how it's happened and how it will actually start changing so much of what's being done in the R&D space. Well, this makes me want to ask now, so what can businesses do to ensure they actually meet their documentation requirements for anything that's qualifying their activities and how can they maximize their chances of receiving their R&D tax credits? That is a great question. And I think one of the most common questions we get as a service provider in this space is clients often ask us, what is the best record keeping um, software or tool that we can use? And my refrain to this question is always, whatever system works for your business. At the end of the day, regardless of which software or system that you use, a software is only as good as you or your employees adopt it and its functionalities. You know, I think we work with such a diverse range of clientele and businesses, and they are all different in terms of um, their industry, their activities that they conduct, their number of employees, their workplace culture even. Are you remote? Are you in person? Are you having a lot of, you know, in-person meetings or somebody in there taking notes? And all of these things can affect how employees adopt and use a software really making it hard to suggest kind of one magic platform that will substantiate your R&D claim. I think ideally at the end of the day, what taxpayers need to keep in mind is that our goal is always to establish what's called nexus. So linking employees to specific activities and linking those employees and activities to specific projects that are undertaken during the tax year. And so the better and the more granular we can do this, regardless of the system that you use, the more substantiated our claim is going to be. Yeah, that, that makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we have a saying at Boast, uh, you know, you focus on your tracking, we'll, we'll do everything there is to make sure you get your tax credits, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. And like product adoption is key. Like that's, yeah. you know, the case with every software company. And so while we like to say like, oh, you know, this software is great and it's a magic bullet, it's unfortunately not the case that people don't use it properly and don't use it diligently. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and at least the way we work at Boast is you can use whatever you want. We can make it work because we have yeah. the tools, we have the the understanding of the product that can make it all happen. So it, it really doesn't matter. 
Um, it's what is the client most comfortable using with and if they're tracking the right way. Um, now, this brings me to my, my last question. So in light of the recent ruling, so what do you think, uh, what's the role of tax experts now or specialized partners in really helping businesses uh, navigate their R&D taxes and what and how, what they can do to avoid the pitfalls or the common mistakes that they end up making? I think there's a couple of key roles that we can play in working with taxpayers. So the first, um, I feel like most obvious one, is the identification of eligible activities and expenses. Um, thinking about, you know, little Sandy Cole, um, the shipbuilder that we discussed earlier, a large part of contention with that case was showing that the projects and expenses qualified towards the credit and that they accurately applied the shrink back rule. And so they, they accurately um, removed the activities and expenses that did not qualify. You know, it really takes somebody with a lot of expertise to walk you through um, specifically what can qualify and what does not qualify. But it's also we find that we actually identify more qualified costs towards claims simply because we employ industry experts that know in full detail what goes into the development of a new software functionality, for example. Um, and as, and uh, um, along with that, the activities that can go within developing the software functionality that do not qualify. Um, and we want to ensure we are not including in our study. Um, so I would say that's definitely key. Um, I would say the next area that working with a provider can help you with is identification of risk areas for your claim. Um, so for example, with Moore versus Commissioner with the COO being, you know, a highly allocated individual, again, the IRS didn't say, you know, we don't think he's qualified. He said, yeah, we think he's qualified, but can you prove it? And the taxpayer had to say, well, no, not really. So working with a provider to say, um, these are the risk areas of your credit. This is how we're going to address them. Um, and in this specific case, the documentation needed to show direct involvement in R&D. Um, or how do we show direct supervision of technical individuals, um, which in more versus commissioner, they couldn't show. And I think the third area um, that a provider can really assist taxpayers with is working with your company to identify a strategy to document these activities yeah. and how long that documentation needs to be maintained. Um, this is key because like we said, every company is different. The activities you are undertaking is different. The life stage of your company is different. And what we commonly see here, especially working with startup companies, is that we are very fortunate that we get to go um, on this ride with them as they grow and they change. But along with that, it means their needs as a company is going to grow and change. And what they need out of a documentation software is going to grow and change, which is fine. It's natural. It happens in the evolution of a business. But working with a provider can better help you identify um, how to address those needs and those gaps, but also ensure that we're retaining that historical and legacy um, information, because although we're switching systems, we still do need to maintain those historical records that are tied to past R&D credit claims as well. I love it. I mean, honestly, whenever I speak to clients, they keep telling me, you know, Boast AI makes life so much easier by making it fast, simple, and efficient. So I, I think it's a it's a win. Uh, and there's so much that providers can offer, uh, especially like us. <laughs> But uh, again, Ashley, thank you so much. Uh, this was so much no so much knowledge that we needed, and we'll we'll stay in touch to see what happens next in the in the new U.S. space for R and D tax credits. But thank you so much. We'll be sharing a blog 
uh, in the comments as well. So feel free to check that out with more information. Uh, but Ashley, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.